1: Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to five hundred five hundred.
2: Welcome to the nerds Podcast number 864. This is the first Nerdist. This is going to be a little confusing, but you're all smart people, so I feel like your brains will be able to absorb this quickly and easily. This is the first Nerdist podcast that is actually the full unedited audio of Talking with Chris Hardwick, guest Elijah Wood, our very first episode. Um, I hope it's a good idea to. It feels like it's a good idea to do this, Katie, to post. I think so. It's unedited. It is unedited. So it's like, I you know, so much it. of the conversation gets cut out to like to slap it into a thirty, or a 41, 42 minute uh, time, time crunch. And. You know, I think it's kind of interesting to hear what get gets cut out or how yeah. how stuff was moved around to make sure that the conversation flowed. But nothing, but but so you'll so you'll hear some differences in the unedited audio, which I just think is fascinating if you have any interest in broadcasting or how media works. But um, nothing was ever edited in a way that changed what a conversation was. Yeah, um, things may have been moved around or cut down, but it wasn't like okay, we took one sentence from one thing and. Pasted it with another sentence from another thing to create the false illusion yeah. of a third idea. Uh, it was just, it was just, it just kind of gives you some back, back, backstory about how things are, you know, cut down and edited for television. So watch the video version, please, so I can continue making them. <laughs> please support that, and then also you can listen to the unedited audio here. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you're sitting in traffic or on, on a treadmill or at your job that you're not super enthused about. But uh, Elijah, who was just on the Nerdist podcast not that long ago, but I still learned stuff about him that I didn't didn't know before. And he's just such a great guy and such a wonderful conversationalist and, uh, and really smart. So it was great to have him on and an honor to have him as the first episode of Talking with Chris Hardwick, which airs Sunday nights at 11 p.m. on AMC uh, and then we're finding out where else uh, digitally that will be available for you as well. He is promoting I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which is a fucking great movie if you haven't seen it. Did you watch it? Yeah, I Melanie Linsky's it. in it who is <laughs> just so – She's such an incredible actor, yeah. and uh, they are fantastic together. So uh, check that out. That is, on, uh, that is on Netflix right now. And if you want to watch full episodes online and get more show exclusive of Talking with Chris Hardwick, go to amc.com slash talking. Here's Nerdist Podcast number 864, Talking with Chris Hardwick, Elijah Wood, and Katie Levine. Roll it.
0: Now entering nerdist.com.
2: On the program, my guest is an accomplished actor who got his start at eight years old when he was basically just a a pair of big eyes. Uh, And you probably recognized him and stuff and didn't even know it was him. He appeared in countless films before he started uh, traipsing around Middle Earth with a bunch of hobbits. He spent a lot of time bonding with a human-sized dog named Wilfred and is currently prepping for a season two return playing the reluctant assistant to the holistic detective, Jerk gently. Uh, I've known Elijah for a handful of years. Uh, he's a terrific human being. He's always immersing himself in amazing creative endeavors. For instance, he's a co-founder of a film production company, SpectroVision, uh, which is creating a space for horror films, which push the boundaries of what horror can be. He's a horror fanatic, and it's turned me on to a lot of great horror. He's half of a music loving duo called uh, Wooden Wisdom, who get to travel the globe DJing. And his latest film, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, got the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. It is a fantastic movie. I just saw it. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. Tonight, Elijah Wood is talking with Chris Hardwick. <laughs> wow. Wow. Excellent. And we're back from the intro. All right. So you, the fans, you've reached out to us in droves, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook using at talking. So uh, I'm going to be chatting with Elijah. I'm going to kick off the conversation. But then we're going to weave in your questions and comments, your comments, if you will. We're going to show you some video messages that you sent in for Elijah Wood. Plus, people here in the studio. audience, Yeah, yeah, you're going to get them. People here in the <laughs> studio audience are going to get a chance to ask question uh, Comic-Con style. But first, uh, it's my turn. So let's let's get started. As I said in the intro You've been doing this almost,
0: uh, I think you almost started fetally. Uh, in the <laughs> Is that not true? I started when I was eight. I'm 36 now, so yeah. What is that's a long time. That's 28 almost, years ago. 28 years you've insane. been doing this. It's been almost 30 years. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. Weird. I know it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about that. That's Sorry. really disturbing. <laughs> this is yeah, this is
2: where we <laughs> this is where we broke Elijah Wood because he just realized, oh my god, that's like when your grandpa would go, yeah, I got a watch. I worked for 28 years and they gave me a gold yeah. watch. Yeah. And now I can say things like that. Yeah. Where's Except your the gold watch, watch, watch? I know exactly. Yeah. Where is? My you got a gold, gold ring. You got
0: a little gold ring there That is true But
2: um, So the first time And I didn't realize This was you Is the uh, And I don't think You guys realize this Because you're all millennials But uh, (laughs) But back in the 1900s (laughs) There was a uh, Former show host Named Paul Abdul Who uh, was a Was a musician and she had a, a video called Forever Your Girl. That's right. And you were in that video. That's right. And who was the director of that video? David Fincher.
0: How crazy is That's that? so crazy. That's... Before he started making movies. Before he, he became David Fincher. That's right, yeah. Do you remember anything about that video? I do. I mean, I remember meeting her. She was a big deal at the time, so I was super excited to meet her. Yeah. Uh, I remember... I don't know. I was on a, I was on a film set for the first time. So it was all kind of surreal. I just remember being really excited. I play a young executive Mm -hmm. in the thing who's, like, distraught, presumably over, like, a broken relationship. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sitting at a desk, and I, like, break a pencil mm-hmm. uh, in in pain, and I run my fingers through my hair and look out the window. Like, really kind of heavy distraught thing for an eight-year-old yeah, <laughs> experience. Yeah. And to sort of try and convey.
2: I'm going to guess the relationship didn't work out because you were eight. Uh, That's exactly it, Paul Abdul yeah, was considerably like, you old. You're too young You're for too me. young for this. Yeah. I should have realized this before we started dating, but now it's going to have to end. <laughs> Do you feel like... You broke up with her, or
0: she broke up with you? Ooh, wow. I I sort of feel like he broke up with her, or I broke up with her. Yeah. Uh, and then regretted. it.
2: Gotcha, gotcha.
0: That's just my 36-year-old brain telling my eight-year-old brain that that's what it is now. You know, I'm gonna. Although that may not have been my motivation. Maybe at the time. I'm gonna go
2: out on a limb and say I think you could probably get it back. I think maybe now is the time. <laughs> Duels here, everyone! No, I'm kidding. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. But, uh, so, how did you get involved in this, in the video in the first place? Was acting something that you wanted to do, or
0: was it just kind of an accidental thing? So, the story kind of goes, I I was born in Iowa, uh, raised there. My mom saw a commercial when I was around five. And she saw this commercial and she thought... Elijah has a lot of energy. This would be a really great outlet for his energy. Um, But there was no kind of outlet for that in Cedar Rapids. So she put me in modeling school, Mm -hmm. which was kind of the closest thing to acting, I suppose. Sure. And so I actually did some, like, runway modeling at malls, at local malls. (laughs) And I did some, like, print, print photography work as well. I actually have photos of myself, like walking down a runway in a mall with, like, sunglasses on and, like, a bathing suit sort of situation. Nice. Shorts. Sure. Uh, So I did that for a bit, and then that particular school did have, like, an acting element to it. So it would do, like, monologues, things like that. My brother, who's seven years older than me, had a vested interest in acting. He was doing it in school, Also went to the same kind of modeling school, and then they ended up going out and representing some of their students at a thing in L.A. called the IMTA, which is the International Modeling and Talent Association. Okay. So I went out there and, like, competed. Uh, Competitive modeling? Well, it was... (laughs) There were all these different categories. It's so bizarre to think about now because it's so long ago, but um, one of the things that... One of the competitions was, like, a a singing competition, Uh so I actually sang... Don't Worry, Be Happy, is anyone familiar with that? <laughs> uh, Which is a Bobby <laughs> the McFerrin, Bobby McFerrin Yeah, It was a big deal at the time. This is 1988. Uh, and so the, the story behind that's kind of funny. I went out to sing it and the people were clapping so loud that I couldn't hear the backing track. Mm-hmm. So I like lost my way. And, which was the most embarrassing, horrifying thing ever, and I had to try and find the rhythm again, and I never quite found it. But they gave me an honorable mention because I just stuck You I just stuck, stuck, stuck with, with it, it. yeah. You like, gave it the shot. I'm gonna stick with
2: it. He was, he was in it as much as he could possibly be in it. Yeah.
0: So while I was there, I met a, a talent manager who asked me if I wanted to be an actor. And I'd never really thought much about it, but the idea of...
2: <laughs> well, you hadn't thought much about anything. What are you, six at the exactly. time? Exactly. Yeah. I was seven.
0: You were seven. Um, but I was... The idea was thrilling. You know, moving out to California, I was so excited about being in California for the first time. And so we, we were like, why don't we just come out to L.A. for five, six weeks, go out here to audition, get an agent, and see where it goes for fun. And then within the first six weeks of auditioning, I got this Paula Abdul job. And I did a number of commercials, and then... I got uh, a role in Back to the Future 2. Oh, I remember. <laughs>
2: Back to the Future 2. You're, the, you're one of the little kids where he's playing the game that's yeah. kind of based on Duck Hunt, but he's shooting the thing. Exactly. And the other kid goes, that's like a baby toy. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But that should have been your line. It should have been my line. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like working with Zemeckis at, you know, eight or nine I years old? I don't
0: remember Zemeckis, honestly. Uh, I do remember Michael J. Fox. I was a huge fan of the original film, and yeah. so being on that set was completely mind-blowing to me because I knew that film, and I knew it's Hill Valley, right, the name yeah. of the town. So I knew the town architecturally from the original film, so seeing it in the future was crazy. Seeing all these futuristic cars, I mean, it was a proper giant film production, and I was this little child that was in some sort of fantasy land. It was amazing.
2: Did you ever talk to Michael J. Fox again, like, years later? Did I he never remember? met him
0: again. Really? never met him again, no. I'm a huge fan of his, though. I think he's extraordinary. So what
2: happens after Back to the Future? Because what I feel like is happening now is Elijah Wood is taking hold of Hollywood, and Hollywood is saying, hey, Elijah Wood, with those steel blue eyes, look like they were (laughs) scooped out of the crust of uh, Superman's home planet, Krypton, and just those glowing blue orbs that you have, (laughs) which are so easy to get lost in. Uh... What's, what's happening? Like, is it, it, it
0: your family saying, okay, I guess we stay here now and we make that's, a go of this? Or That's essentially what happened. Like, after, the, after getting a couple of jobs, it seemed like a sustainable reason to move to California. And I think my mom also wanted to broaden our horizons and move the family out to another place that wasn't Iowa anyway just for new experiences. So my dad and my sister stayed in Iowa while we kind of, like, got things situated and it seemed like a reasonable moment to move, because I I was working, my brother also was starting to work as well and doing commercials. So everybody moved out here. And within that first year, I got a couple of roles in films, Back to the Future 2 being one of them, and a small role in Internal Affairs. And then I I did a movie called Avalon, which was the sort of first proper role. Barry Levinson, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it was the first proper role I had in a film with actual dialogue and a kind of character arc. And... I loved it. it was a, it's a bizarre thing to think about now because I'm so deep in it and I'm an adult and I've, I have a life that has sprung from this. But at the time, you know, I was a child kind of going with the flow and sort of l- always loving it. And, and I kind of came up and learned how to do what I was doing because I didn't have any training. Sure. It was all kind of instinctual and, uh, Yeah. And I kind of learned as I went, I suppose Well, I, so I guess, the and uh, you know, I apologize Because I
2: assume this is a question that you must get oh. all the time But it's, it's so, I'm always fascinated by people who grow up in the business mm. Like who, from childhood, and when they It's not advisable when
0: they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, It <and> often <laughs> doesn't work out No, well, I know that's true seen. But,
2: you know, <laughs> the fact that you didn't, you know, like nosedive into a, into a, 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 a pot full of crack Is like a great, <laughs> you know they everywhere <laughs> <laughs> I'm just always Like, like, like people who Because it, it's tough enough to make it through youth and teen yeah, years ju- Like not being in this business yeah. Around the sort of the, the plasticine sheen that is this town And everything yeah. that involves it But the fact that you know you grew up just such a, like, a, a normal, nice dude with, you know, good values and, you know, you're nice to people. And, I don't know, th- it is a t- tremendous accomplishment.
0: So how Isn't did you weird? not implode? It is weird that being nice, because I hear that a lot. Like, you're just so nice, as if that is an accomplishment. It it's really is. It's just kind of how you're supposed to be. I know that. And for,
2: for most of America. Right. But, you know, we're in such a qu- crazy bubble here. We are.
0: We're in a weird industry. I mean, I, I credit all of that to my mother, who I think was very conscious of the fact that I could and ultimately did uh, endure a great deal of attention. And I think she immediately saw where that could go, that, you know, I could overly define myself by what it was that I was doing or the perception of who I was um, or special treatment. Like, she never let me accept special treatment. That was a huge thing. She drilled humility into me, um, provided a very real sense of life outside of the work that I was doing Mm -hmm. and never really allowed for me to uh, over-inflate my sense of importance. Um, And since I had that from such a young age, that became who I was. So I I never... I always had perspective. She provided perspective and a sense of that's the work that you do and you also have a relatively normal home life that is totally separate from this weird industry that you're in.
2: But did you go through a period of, I mean, it's look, it's a very, it's an exceptionally difficult business, which is is not only attracts a certain personality type that can skew a little insecure and need for attention, you know, being performers, Mm -hmm. but then also that's completely preyed upon by a business that is, uh, you know, just wrought with rejection and judgment and, Mm -hmm. and harshness and, you know, and so did you ever experience a period of oh, God, I'm not really working or I'm getting really close on stuff. Like, did you ever feel, like, lean periods or maybe I'm not doing the right thing? I mean,
0: was that something that you had to navigate? Definitely. Uh, And that kind of happened post Lord of the Rings, actually. Really? Yeah, a little bit. I think... I I look a lot younger than I am, so do you, and I think that that's... It's true. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I I don't think I... No, I don't look any younger than 29 my age. (laughs)
2: It's true. I, I'll never forget being at, at Comic Con with 36. you. Thirty-six. What an old man over here, right? right you guys, boy, you get a rascal for this guy to get around. Uh, not like me. I'm millennial. Go, Fetty Wap.
0: <laughs> My references. What 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 happened at Comic Con? So, oh, we had a, we had a panel, and I thought you were a lot younger than oh, you, you did. You are, and you were like. Dude, I hosted singled out. I, was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I don't know what he's talking <laughs> about. He's about? He's clearly got it. Oh yeah, that was it. Was a Hobbit
2: panel. It was, That's the, right. It was the Hobbit panel, and you just happened to be there. Yes. And you came out. I uh, I had a very strange experience with uh, with Ian McKellen. There What does that mean? Well, it was <laughs> i all just get our minds out of the uh, I mean, don't get me wrong I'd fuck the shit out of him But I just <laughs> It wasn't that I really would He's a legend But, a legend. Uh, but you know I, I was, So we're out, we're out on the panel We're in Hall H Hall H is 7,000 people You know, it's such a It's, it's an incredible experience If you've never been in San Diego And, you know, he was so charming on the panel. And, yes, of course, oh, good times. And so then I I do that thing mistakenly. I'm moderating the panel. I think, oh, we're friends now. You know, I can talk to him. So uh, so backstage, we take the picture of the panel. And then I turn to talk to him. And then at that point, uh, sorry, my (laughs) pant legs. At that point, I think, oh, we're buds now. So I go... Oh my God, Ian! It was so great to get a chance to, and then just he instantly was just shut off, and he goes, "Yes, right," and then just walked away. <laughs> oh! And he totally like he totally royaltied me, and understandably so, you know. Fine, but it just caught me off guard. I was like, "Oh man!" Oh we're, no! We're not gonna be on a yacht clinking glasses. <laughs> Oh, that's a shame. It was, but he see, but it's, but everyone seemed, in general, everyone seemed pretty,
0: pretty great. And he is great. He is great. It may have been that they were rushing him onto another thing. They weren't rushing him. He okay. was,
2: yeah. He sauntered okay. off very slowly. He just needed to be somewhere oh, else. Oh yes. Yes. Ru- right. right. Yes. Right. <laughs>
0: he was just like as high as a person's chin can be in the air. Aww. He's a very humble person. He's a lovely human, but maybe. I just he didn't want. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I'm making excuses for him. but no, it's I, fine. But
2: it's true, I... Listen, when you, next time you guys talk, if he asks about me, tell him tell him I've just recovered. Yeah, I will. Uh, <laughs> you tell him I'm doing a-okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, I know this. You know, a lot, a lot of people have Lord of the Rings questions. For you, what was part of the experience? Uh, you guys, you got to go to the Oscars. Yeah. And, you know, was that
0: it? Was that strange? So surreal. Uh, I mean, going to the Oscars—I'd never been before outside of presenting something. So the notion of being there, especially on the last film when we were all there together, and to be there and see all of these incredible people who were a part of making those films come to life, one after another, accept these awards was just completely surreal and extraordinary. Do, do people come up? Do people come
2: up to you that freak you out? I mean, you know, like uh, really famous people come and go. Oh my God, I know who you are,
0: and I love this movie. I'm always freaked out by that. I mean, I still get... I, I still get freaked out by meeting people that I admire. Uh, so, I, yeah, always. I thought... maybe I can't remember if you told me this or I heard this, that... The Jack, Nich- Jack Nicholson story, thing? That's amazing. Yeah, I had a conversation. That's very surreal. I had a conversation with Jack Nicholson where he said... Uh, I'm not going to do the impression, but <laughs> he said he loved the film. And he was like, but there are too many endings. He's like, <laughs> he's like I, I left after the first ending. He's like, I just couldn't... <laughs> It just went on and on. It's great. It's a great movie. How do you answer? How do you respond to that? And I was like, well, Jack, that's the book, man. (laughs) They had to tie up all these stories. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> Peter Jackson, where are you? Peter, I need help be to bail you out. Amazing um,
2: Lord of the Rings reactions From from around the internet At June Booga J says Elijah Wood was the heartthrob Of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Or am I remembering that wrong? Move over, Orlando Bloom uh, <laughs> Real Anavu on Twitter says If I go to see Elijah Wood's DJ set And he doesn't remix Lord of the Rings theme I'm going to be disappointed
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be sorely, sorely disappointed. disappointed. It'll never happen.
2: <laughs> I feel like she'd still be okay. Amelia Devine says, uh, "More been watching Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit for about the fifth time, and I still love you guys." Elijah is Bay. Uh, that's just some of that terminology that us millennials like to use. Yeah, uh, it's true. I'm just baying all day All day long Dominic, uh, Dominic Monaghan said uh, Oh you have to ask Elijah About the time he farted Coming down the hill And I don't know what it was That's all he said He said uh, that you would Fill in the
0: gaps Yeah so uh, first, first First day of filming Lord of the Rings It's uh, it's the four hobbits (laughs) rolling down the hill, um, landing on the wooded road, and then hiding behind the tree as the ringwraiths come by. Yes. So we did that over the course of two days, and the first thing we did was like rolling down the hill, and on one either on on a take or in a rehearsal, we rolled down and just uh, it was an impact fart. It was a pure one of those, you know, like. (laughs) <laughs> instant <laughs> yeah and it was loud and everyone laughed and... the fart heard round the shire <laughs> i mean that experience
2: t- you know you say you've been acting for 28 years but that, that you know how many years of your
0: life was lord of the rings it was four all in all four we we shot uh, the principal photography was over the course of 18 months So we lived in New Zealand shooting all three films at the same time, um, which is a Herculean effort. I mean, there were literally six or seven units concurrently shooting um, to make sure that we could finish it all. And then we went back every year for each individual film as they were kind of cutting them and putting them together. And we would shoot additional footage um, as they were kind of fine-tuning and tweaking. So we actually had the opportunity to kind of go back and fine-tune and tweak each individual film. So... 4 years of our our lives were those movies. I mean it's 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 hard to
2: imagine but <clears throat> the ni- the 90s were still a rough time for film and then coming into the yeah. early 2000s even hearing well they're going to do Lord of the Rings. What? How are they going to do that? Yeah. Because we just films just weren't made on that scale with that many effects. But then, no. you know, all of a sudden around the same time you have Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, you have Brian Singer's X-Men, you have right. Lord of the Rings coming out. Which really Harry Potter, Harry Potter, yeah. So you have all these films that are effect heavy, these epic movies that not only change the way film is made, but also not necessarily for the better. (laughs) Not always. (laughs) Not always. Not always for the better. Yeah, but elevated, you know, our uh, subset group of nerddom into more of mainstream culture. And That's I, very
0: true. And, it, th- and that all happened around the same time. And it sort of, it it broadened the scale and scope of Comic-Con as well. Yes. And nerd culture in general. Yes. Which is really kind of exceptional. I would not really thought about that, the timing of all those things converging. Did that bother you? Because it's so, it, it does bother some
2: of the proto-nerds that Comic-Con... Like, to say Comic-Con is, like, well, it's not really about comics anymore. And it's yeah. like it's about pop culture and there's more fringe people. And I always just kind of feel like... <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like, well, that's good. It's more inclusive. Do you, does that bother you that it's so
0: pop culture-driven I Well, I wasn't a Comic-Con devotee prior to going there for Lord of the Rings, so I wasn't a comic book collector or someone that was a purist that could be upset about it. But, yeah, I mean, it's always a little bit upsetting when you see I mean you see this at film festivals too where giant TV networks are bringing their things to film festivals and you're like well what place does it have at a film festival right uh you know there's definitely a sense of the big corporate machine kind of jumping in and capitalizing on fandom right but at the same time it's all it's all about generating positivity and excitement over the things that people mutually love so I don't know it doesn't It doesn't bother me. I think it gets a little corporate, and there's a lot of money being thrown at it, but at the end of the day, it's still a place for people to be who they are and express themselves. That's the part of Comic-Con that I love the most, that it's... You see people that have been working on cosplay all year, and there they are, able to express that thing that they're interested in, and it still works for them. And as long as that spirit is there, you can't destroy what makes... Comic-Con special, And I
2: think. has it... Have you ever had your mind completely melted out of your head seeing a Frodo cosplay walk up to you and go,
0: Hi, I'm you! I mean, that, that's so strange. That is strange, but it's also... But... <laughs> wow, what a laugh! <laughs> that was so good. Uh, it is strange, but... You know what's... It's funny being a part of something like Lord of the Rings what you immediately accept as a part of the new reality. Mm -hmm. For instance, like, I'd never been a part of a film that had a giant billboard on the side of a building or we were on sides of planes. Yeah. That was ridiculously massive in terms of scale and promotion, but it's amazing how quickly you can compartmentalize that and be like, well, it's a part of this thing. Right. So, to that point, like, going to Comic-Con and seeing someone dressed as Frodo didn't really freak me out because it, it's all within the context of that sort of thing. What freaks me out more is the more obscure things. Like, I did a, um, a mini-series, an animated miniseries called Over the Garden Wall for Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. And I see character people dressed up as those characters, and I think that's... Awesome. That's insane. Yeah, that's fucking insane. Yeah, that's a thing. That is, you know, it's a, it, it is popular. They show it every year, but it's also to its smaller audience. Right. So to see people dressing up as those characters, I'm like, holy fuck. Well, yeah. Well, you know what's great about that's that awesome. too, or the, too Or Wilfred too. Or Wilfred too, for instance.
2: But it, it's, but what's great about it is that, <laughs> you know, like those sort of, and that's, and and kind of looping back around. That's why I say to people, like, you don't ever need to be upset that nerd culture is being too co-opted because there are still need. Trenches Always. that the truest nerds will be the only ones with the diving gear to swim down to. It's true. You know? It's, so the people who cosplay as that are something really, 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 really specific. Like there's there's
0: room for everyone. Totally. And and the bigger that Marvel and DC and Disney get, the more these things will be expressed as well. Because that stuff is so fucking covered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be, even if you were a pre-existing Marvel fan, I would imagine. I wasn't a huge Marvel fan, but It's hard to be a fan when it's just so covered for you. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's more fun to get into things that are a little bit smaller and obscure and strange and and express things that aren't being expressed on the widest scale.
2: Yeah, sort of like, you know, well, yes, everyone loves Star Wars, but, you know, my favorite droid is R5-D4. There you go. So, you know, it's like, yeah, I know everyone loves R2-D2, everyone loves C-3PO, but, you know, I love the the failure droid. Like, he's my favorite. He's awesome. Uh, My
0: favorite droid is, uh, is it... DB88? What
2: BB88? That, BB8? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. BB yeah. BB8, the little,
0: the little soccer ball. Oh no, no, no. What's the one I'm thinking of? He's also, um, he's a droid, but he's a bounty hunter. Tall. IG88. So I knew it was an 88.
2: Uh, I, I'm boy. I'm really surprised. Someone in the audience knew the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, Thank it's IG88. It's IG88. Damn it! Don't <laughs> fucking, ugh, I used to love you, Elijah Wood. <laughs> What can't you know stuff that I know? <laughs> I was close. <laughs> That's sort of like you know the best way to fuck with nerds is to <laughs> there's just those pictures you know, they do those those incorrect mashup pictures. So it will be a picture of Patrick Stewart and then a quote that says "Use the Force, Harry." Gandalf, you know, but it's Patrick Stewart. Uh, when, when Lord of the Rings finally wrapped up after this epic experience for yeah. you, what was you know, saying goodbye to it. I mean, it was such a significant part of your life, so how do, you, how, do you say, how do you say goodbye to that?
0: It was really hard. It was really hard. I mean, we had become a family over the course of making them. I often say that it was like making the world's largest independent film because we were tucked away in New Zealand. And the thing to remember, too, is this is really pre-internet. It, it was internet times, but the sort of fervor by which there are multiple fan sites associated... With this thing... free social media, too. Totally. So there weren't eyes on us the way that I, there are eyes on things now. So we were very much in our own world, and there was this... There's very much a kind of Kiwi ingenuity of... Everybody just kind of does multiple jobs to get the job done. So there was this great sense of it feeling small, even though the scale was big. And it was extraordinary. And we all became the best of friends and had an, uh, an unbelievable journey that was unlike anything we'd ever experienced... And then, you know, the the principal photography ended, and that was really hard. But then we were like, oh, we get to go back every year. So we went back, and we kind of got lulled into this false sense of security (laughs) of we're just going to be doing this forever. And it was the last time that we went back that it became real for us, that we wouldn't ever kind of be there under these auspices again and, and work with these people in that way. And it was very hard. It was hard as well to understand what your life meant again. So, you know, when you spend that much time working on something which none of us had, I'll never forget getting home the first time, actually, after principal photography, and kind of not knowing what to do with myself. You know, when your life is essentially scheduled and you're, you've got this responsibility of bringing this character to fruition over the course of a year and a half and then you're just dropped off at home i was like i don't know <laughs> what to do i i didn't know what my daily life was it was a it was a very bizarre unsettling feeling cuz it it was our life you know we all had houses there we had routines outside of the work that we were doing on lord of the rings so and and i was 18 so i came up in you know in some ways it sort of felt like a tour of duty or going to university potentially in the sense that that's the time that you go away from home and you have this formative experience. And that's what that was for me. So to leave that, especially at that age, was confusing and hard to to deal with. It it took me about six months to wake up. I was that tired, too. (laughs) Like, seriously, like, so exhausted. Because we were working six-day weeks for a majority of the film. Wow. um, 16-, 17-hour days. And that was the kind of bulk of it. So getting home, I was like, yeah, I was dead on my feet for a while.
2: But you also said when you got back that there was a kind of a strange period where you felt the gap of, oh, am I not going to work anymore? What's going on? Am I just just that guy? Who am I? Who am I? And what am I, especially... Yeah. At the age you were at, too, that's what you do naturally. But sure. you really have your identity tied to what you're doing in a career. And so I, how
0: did you navigate that? I was very cognizant of it, um, that those films were going to be the primary thing in people's purview for a long time, certainly three years. Um, I remember feeling I, I immediately wanted to do something really small for two reasons. One, uh, it, would only, it would take half the time or even a fraction of the time. yeah. The idea of doing something massive on a large scale was something I did not want to do just because I'd come from something that took all of my time. Um, And then also something small and intimate so I could just do different work that was completely different to what Lord of the Rings was. And that is sort of how I went for a while. And in terms of that identity, I always felt like as long as I continued to work and do things that were so different from Lord of the Rings, explore different characters, continue to challenge myself... I'd be able to keep working. And it wasn't until I was sort of in my mid-20s that I actually had a, about a year and a half where I didn't work at all. And that was the first time where I was kind of like, oh, shit. I thought I'd already... Because there's this thing with child actors where they talk about this notion of sort of bridging that gap between being a child actor and an adult actor. Um, and typically that's from when you're a child, you get through your teen years, and then when you're in your 20s, you've sort of done that if you're still working. right. So by and large, the narrative was that I'd done that. Like, I'd kind of gotten over that. I was in my 20s and I was still working. And it sort of didn't, that period of awkwardness didn't really come until I was in my mid to late 20s, where I, I sort of did have a period about of about a year where I didn't work. It was interesting, but so humbling and good. Like, I, I kind of loved the opportunity to sort of reflect and think about where I was in my life and who I was and... It also sort of briefly timed out. Right before I turned 30, I I was in therapy for about a year. I'd I'd never been to a therapist, and it it was just a really interesting time to sort of be self-reflective and look at the last number of years of my life as I was about to turn 30, to which would be the next chapter of my life. And the timing of that worked out beautifully. So all of the things in terms of not being able to work for a period and not quite sure what I was doing all ultimately kind of imbued me with a sense of wanting to understand myself more, to then figure out what the next chapter was going. To
2: well, then what? I mean, good without getting too personal, so that period of time where you're self-reflective and you're in therapy and you're trying to figure who you are, what did you come out with? Like, what did you
0: what did you land on the other side with? Um. Well, ultimately, the, what I found the therapy the therapy was so interesting because it was the first time i'd ever done that and i it was definitely never a thing that i was opposed to but i never felt like i needed it 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 all kind of timed up with this thing of starting to be very self-reflective and realizing i suddenly had patterns looking at those things ultimately laughing at myself a shit ton (laughs) uh at just the the constructs that we make for ourselves the the sort of self-abuse things that You know, standards that we create for ourselves that are impossible to reach. Mm -hmm. Um, All these little things that that were ultimately all a part of me not taking good care of myself. So I figured all those things out. And then just timing-wise, things started to fall into place. And I don't know if it's related necessarily, but I felt better as a human, which ultimately is always the best place to operate from. And then Wilfred came about. And I started DJing more, and I was also starting a production company. So suddenly, all these things that I wanted to be doing, or that I dream- dreamt about doing, certainly the production company wanting to get behind movies that I love, and also playing music more, all kind of started to fall into place. And that kind of very clearly defined various paths that, that would sort of be things I would explore over the next number of years.
2: Well, there's a lot of stuff still that I want to it's talk a long about. long answer. It, it was, but it was a good <laughs> answer because it, it kind of blends, it bleeds really nicely into the idea that... Uh, you know, one of the reasons why I have... One of the many reasons why I have a lot of respect for what you do is that I love watching people who go "Hey, I have a lot of options but these are the things that I really care about and these are the things i'm going to pursue so you 're yep. talking about Spectrovision your company or you 're talking about DJing or you're talking about taking a project like Wilfred so I do want to I want to get to all that and I definitely want to talk about horror but we have to take a quick break and we come back our audience members are going to ask some questions we're going to dig into the questions you guys asked at home as always remember go to at talking on Facebook Twitter and Instagram for exclusive updates about who's going to be on the show and then you can answer your uh, your question asked up here and possibly answered because no matter who I'm talking to I want to make sure that you are all a part of the conversation more with Elijah Wood when we come back on Talking with Chris Hardwick (laughs) welcome back to Talking with Chris Hardwick my guest is Elijah Wood Talking Wood, I guess, is the show that
1: we're doing tonight.
0: (laughs)
2: Talking Wood. (laughs) I think it sounds better than Talking Hardwood, to be honest. Uh, Although in the same family.
0: Uh, Talking Hardwood? Talking Hardwood. That's a different show. Talking
2: Hardwood is a totally different show. Don't Google that. You will be sorry you did. Uh, But the new film is uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which won the Sundance Grand Jury Prize. And uh, my wife and I watched the movie the other night, and it it is It's on Netflix and you think it's going to be this kind of quirky comedy between these two characters who yeah. sort of find each other, and it gets so fucked up in the movie in such a fantastic way. It gets really fucked up, yeah. So what, how did you get involved,
0: and what was the movie for you? Uh, so Macon Blair, who's the writer-director of the film, uh, he's in it briefly near the beginning of the film. He is in a movie called Blue Ruin and in a movie called uh, Green Room, both directed by Jeremy Solon. Yeah. Huge, huge fan Green of Green Room's great, movies. too, by the way. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I just fell in love with Macon and his work, and I met him at a film festival in Austin, Fantastic Fest, that I go yep. to every year. Um, and he was like, hey, I've written this thing, would you care to take a look at it? There's a character that I'm interested in you for. And I was like, holy shit, Macon Blair wants me to read a script that he wrote. <laughs> I was really excited. So I read the script, and it was the best thing I'd read in so long. Um, it's, the movie, if you see it, is very funny. It's also got a lot of heart to it between these two characters um, that Melanie and I play. And it also kind of devolves into this pretty fucking gnarly genre film. (laughs) There's all these things kind of working in tandem that worked really well. And um, I'm just, yeah, I was psyched that it all kind of worked out, that Netflix picked it up and he got to make the movie that he wanted to make.
2: But there is this underlying premise, which... And also, Melanie Linsky is such a phenomenal actor. She's She's so so incredible. And really nice, too. She's very, very sweet. Yeah. But the... uh, But this idea of, I just don't want people to be assholes... ...is really sort of the the through line of the entire
0: movie. It totally is. I mean, the movie is about her character, Ruth... ...and her essentially existential crisis of... ...why is the world filled with assholes? Everyone treats people with disrespect... ...and it's just one thing after another. And it it kind of causes a break where she's like... ...fuck it, I'm going to take things into my own hands... ...when her laptop and uh, her grandmother's silver are stolen... And she goes on this sort of mission, ultimately, to get her things back. But then it's about, well, no, I'm going to find the perpetrators. And it's so low stakes. It's not about, like, <laughs> and it's not bringing them to jail. It's not about going to kill them. It's about literally to be able to confront them and be like, you're an asshole and yeah. you shouldn't do that. Yeah, so You this, shouldn't do that to people. Totally. So that's her. that's her plan all along. So it's this really tiny, like... Crime caper, but with super low stakes. But the, and you play her neighbor. I play her neighbor called Tony, who, uh, he's a weird dude. <laughs> he's a weird dude. Uh, yeah, he's got a rat tail. He's got a rat tail. Yeah. Uh. Uh, I grew out my beard for it of what little I can grow. Um, and he's just a, he's this guy that is like, and we've, I think we've all met people like this. People that are super into their thing that they're into. It it happens to be martial arts for him Mm -hmm. and heavy metal and fantasy novels. So he's kind of a melange of all these things. And he gets, it's, it's that thing of getting a little too psyched to where it kind of puts people off a little bit. And he's probably not, he actually isn't very good at martial arts, but he thinks he is. Right. So he's totally accidentally. He's not afraid to kick people if he feels it's not necessary. At all. Yeah. Not at all. And he's not good. He does successfully kick someone in the film. Um, but it's, there's a lot of heart to him, but he's also kind of isolated, like Ruth is isolated as well, and they, they kind of worked well together. And it was just fun to play a character that is so different from me and. And so weird and
2: and he has a dog really. named Kevin which That's is right.
0: spectacular yeah. dogs
2: with yeah. human names I, I love 100% <laughs> I had a dog named Scott for many years Scott Scott yeah so I'm I'm very much on very much on board but you know th- but this feels like I completely understand like watching this movie and just knowing what I know of you I go this is this was such a perfect <laughs> thing for you cuz it's it does yeah. ride those lines between S- silly and then super fucked up yeah. At the same time Totally Do you, Is there I know you Obviously You're the one who told me about Shudder Which is the on demand horror service That you can subscribe yes, to Yes it's so great and, and it's so great because it, it. And I'm not trying to make this a commercial for Shudder but, but they curate it so well uh, it, like everything is really like very specific genres of horror. And totally. so, you know, what, what is the darkness that beats within you? Like what is, what is the draw for you to horror? Because my wife and I watch
0: every horror, everything. I know, you're a big horror fan too. Yeah, so what's, what, what is it for you? It's such an interesting question. There's actually a documentary called Why Horror uh, that asked that very question because I don't think it's an easy one to answer. For me... It's a little nostalgic because I grew up with it. So I have a brother that's seven years older than Mm -hmm. me and he would show me movies I wasn't supposed to see. So there's that taboo element (laughs) of getting to see, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors when I was six. Yep. Uh, Or a direct-to-VHS movie called Truth or Dare, which remains one of my favorite films. So I had that and this, this kind of thing of the forbidden fruit of getting to see something that I'm not supposed to. And then it stuck with me, I think. I like the feeling of it. There's a, there's a sort of tone and an essence to horror that feels good and fun, and it doesn't scare me. Mm-hmm. But I find the energy around it fun. And I think I like the aesthetics of them. I think they can be oftentimes beautiful. You look at a movie like Suspiria... Yes, is a beautiful piece of art. Dario Argento,
2: anyone? Dario Argento, Argento, very good film. Two people. (laughs)
0: Um, You should watch the Italian horror. (laughs) And I, I like them for all reasons. I like, I like the psychological aspects of them, um, where you've got a movie like The Thing, which, even though it's, it can get gross, it's ultimately about paranoia, and I Mm -hmm. love that. But I can also watch a B-grade fucked-up thing just because it's super fucked up. Right. So I, I kind of love the spectrum. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's not an easy question to answer. But Spectrovision, so
2: is, is Spectrovision wholly focused on horror, or just uh, sp- any any kind of subsets
0: of genre film? It's. Well, we started out primarily focused on horror. Um, with the interest at the time we started the company, this is about six or seven years ago. We felt, and it was true, there weren't there wasn't sort of a company consistently making what we felt were, was sort of elevated horror genre in the U.S. Most of the films that were being made that we loved at the time were being made in European territories. Things mm-hmm. like Let the Right One In right. or The Orphanage out of Spain. Right. Um, those kinds of films that sort of took the subject matter seriously were more about character than they were about the genre elements. In some ways... You could almost—we always say—the best horror films are the ones where you can take the genre elements out and still have a compelling story. Oh, that's really. But there's something at the core right. that still drives it. Um, now we're in the kind of renaissance. Like there are so many companies doing this, but that was our—that was our intent. You know, create a space to make these kinds of horror films that are character and story driven, and also push the bounds of what people consider horror to be. That don't play the same notes that we're used to. The problem with horror is it's. It's this weird kind of, like, degraded stepchild, you know? Like, it's kind of a malign genre. It's often relegated to the B grade in terms of people's perception. Um, You know, there's an interview on the Exorcist DVD on the making of with Blatty and Friedkin where both of them were adamant that The Exorcist is not a horror film. Well, it's unequivocally a horror film. Sure. But I think their line of thinking is more of it's not a B grade movie. right. Um, and, that, and I think we wanted to change that perception too and sort of make films that are clearly artful and can be re- you know, re- received as beautiful pieces of work and they're also in the horror genre.
2: Well, it's very difficult to navigate the horror genre because it's a genre where there is a potential... I mean, there, it's, there's sort of a lottery with horror where you know it's a genre where you can, you can make something really cheaply and mm-hmm. especially with fucking found footage. Like, if I see another fucking found footage movie... Fucking done 2D. ...where someone, where, some, where
0: you're just like, you would have turned the fucking camera off at that point! I know. You know. There are very few examples of found footage that work. Have right. you seen Wreck? Are you see the... the sp- oh, yeah, 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 of course. That fucking yeah. works the whole that time. That works great. There's always a
2: reason to film. But like you said, they, when they're using it as a device, and I think, you know, like, you know, we're sort of in the age of Blumhouse now, and, and Blumhouse is really interesting because... Blumhouse will make some of the best and some of the worst because yeah. they're sort of operating on a numbers game. They are. They're and a machine. So, yeah, and so, you yep. you know, you get some movies where you're like, oh, it's another group of teenagers with a Ouija board, but then you also get, you know, Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yes, so, which is exceptional. So you get you get like a you get and this balance and the conjuring, and really the conjuring as well. Yeah. So they make the amazing movies, but because they're in a numbers game, you get a bunch of them that that aren't so great either. But we watch all of them. Are there any right now,
0: particularly that you're into? Well, I thought Get Out was very special. Um, that that is an important film. I think you know I'll, I'll never forget seeing that movie in the theater because that movie is it's so subversive. You know, it's a movie that is essentially taking uh, you know guess who's coming to dinner sort of and turning it into a a genre film. And uh, making a statement about and, our culture—that's a very relevant genuinely statement. Genuinely making a statement about Black culture and our culture, and, and elevating the, the genre culture. at the same time—it's exceptional. Yeah. Uh, and to sit in a predominantly white audience and watch white people get killed and people cheer, cheer? was pure relation. <laughs> <laughs> it's pure relation. It's
2: that was an amazing moment. Uh, yeah, get out, I don't know if you've seen *Train to Busan*, which I've a... not, but I hear that's
0: incredible. *Train it's to a Busan*, zombie it's great. movie on a train. On a train, yeah. Korean, great. Korean horror, and then. I mean, the Witch is still one of my favorite movies in the last few years. Really? You liked it? I, I just Are you fucking kidding listen me to right me. now? Listen. Are we going to have this yes, conversation? Just a little bit. I'll tell you why. I'll tell
2: you why. I'll tell you why. Okay. Lo- I'd love lo- to hear okay. it. Okay. The Witch, I thought, was a beautiful-looking movie. I thought, like, at a certain point, I'm like, fucking something happened, for fuck's sake. And then finally, at the end, you know, when everything kind of wraps up, I'm like... Oh, okay. Well, that's it. You know, like, I, I get... Have the... you been... Here's a question. because yeah. I, I... The arms folded. I see defensive body no. posture. So, no, no, no. So, so, okay, okay. I see rocking right.
0: motion. So, all right, okay. let's talk through it. Let's um, talk through it. Well, here's it. the thing with that film. That movie premiered at Sundance, I believe. Right. Was, it was it Sundance, it Sundance, or, Sundance or, or wasn't, or it wasn't, was on, it? wasn't yeah. South By? Maybe it was South By. I can't remember. But anyway, there was buzz after the film had premiered. Sure. All this buzz about how sure. extraordinary this movie was. And by the time, I I saw a screener of it and then saw it again with an audience at Fantastic Fest. And some of my friends who had built up all of this anticipation for it were disappointed. And I think that they had assumed or were told that it was the scariest movie of all time, which is not true. Right. And that they were expecting some kind of gnarly movie that it is that's not. That's what is, I was expecting. It is a slow burn character Yes,
2: film. that's what I was expecting. And, I, so and I, I think that hurt
0: people's perceptions.
2: I didn't not like it. No, I, totally. I really did. I, I just, I was, you know, from people who, you know, if, uh, so many people saw it before I did, like, oh, fuck, this fucking movie. And then I saw it, i like... <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: Oh the goat! Oh the goat! Okay, all right. You know, and uh, and but but I, I I really did like it. it but it's in the Rosemary's Baby tradition, where right. there's not a great deal that happens, but it's tension and this sort of tightening of that tension as the film gets gets right. going, and the ending is so satisfying. Yeah, I just ooh that part. It was it was uh, 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 Black oh. Phillip man. Black yes Black Come Phillip. On. Then another, just
2: really quickly, another movie, uh, The Girl with All the Gifts is really great. I have not seen you it yet. You should see it. Uh, it's, that, it's a fantastic zombie movie. Uh, but just like uh, Hall H, we're going to have, uh, this is our fan interaction question of the show, portion of the show. Just like Hall H, we're going to have some folks come up and ask their own questions. So uh, come on up and ask your question. Elijah Wood is here. He is
1: at your disposal. What is your name? Hi, my name's Katie. Katie, Hi, what is Katie. your question
2: for Elijah Wood?
1: Um... Out of all the projects that you've worked on, what is the most awkward scene you've had to film?
2: Oh, good question. Uh-oh. That did not involve farting. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: most awkward. Um, I, well, I had, to, I had to make out with Christina Ricci at the bottom of a pool for a movie called The Ice Storm, and my mother was present watching that. <laughs> And it wasn't, like, make out in a kind of traditional way. It was, like, two people that didn't know what they were doing sticking their tongues as far down their throats as possible. So that was, yeah, that was pretty awkward.
2: Yeah, The Ice Storm was a huge... I mean, I would imagine that movie was a turning point for you as well. Big turning point, yeah. Because that was a, cr- a, critical, a, a critical
0: and commercial success. Yeah, and it was also, for me as an actor, it, it put me into work uh, and material that I'd never experienced before. It felt... Uh, really challenging and more adult uh, than a lot of the films that I'd been a part of before. And to get a chance to work with Ang Lee was so exceptional in that cast. And the work that we did leading up to it, we all got these packets of information on on the 1970s to sort of familiarize ourselves with the era. Mm -hmm. Q&As for each character to fill out about our relationships to our siblings, to who we are as humans. And then we read them aloud to Ang and to each other it was just a really involved creative process that was unlike anything I'd experienced. I have a I have a special treat for you. I'd
2: have to pull my pants down. Like these are like these are like dress yoga pants. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it just otherwise they just ride up. Hey kids! Hey, your old grandpa's got some candies for you. Sorry. Uh, I have a very special. Uh, these are signed by Elijah, uh, which so you will always see those. We have a video question roll in. Let's roll it.
1: Hi, Chris and Elijah. This is Lucy from Sydney, Australia. I've been a big fan of Lord of the Rings since I was nine years old. My question is, if you could play any superhero, which superhero would you pick and why?
0: Superhero, who would you be? Oh, God. Uh, Thanks for that question, Lucy. Is it Lucy? Lucy? It was Lucy. Lucy. Lucy from Australia? Yeah. Lucy. Uh, (laughs) Fuck. I don't know. That's a tough question. Are you more
2: of a, uh, 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 well, you, because you said you didn't really read comic books growing up. Not really. What kind of powers do you, like, you must have the superhero dream. Like, I always dream, I, I would have thought I'd want the Superman dream. I always have the Spider-Man dream. I'm always climbing up
0: walls and shooting shit no out way. of my, yeah. That's I have pretty that. awesome. What about you? Do you do flying you, dreams. You have flying dreams. Yeah, flying dreams. I don't know, uh, superhero, um, oh, why am I forgetting the name of it? Um... Superman? No Okay No, one of, the, one of the greatest graphic novels of all time the, Watchmen? The Watchmen Right So it would probably be Rorschach Rorschach I just think The Watchmen is incredible and I love that character But I'm not a big superhero fan I was always, uh, Batman was always my favorite because he didn't have superpowers right. And he was a terribly conflicted individual <laughs> uh, And that just made him
2: interesting Not as know? played by George Clooney, he was super like, hey everybody, I'm Batman <laughs> That is true I, I, was at, I was at New York Comic Con one year, and he was on a panel, uh, and without really catching myself, I go, hey, sweet Bruce Wayne cosplay uh, to George Clooney, uh, and, he, and, and in front of everyone, and I was like, oh, what did I just say? And he, and he stopped for a second, and he goes, hey, everyone... Uh, I just want to apologize for that, uh, just so you guys know. Like, he's, he apologized for his Bruce Wayne That's <laughs> to amazing. all the New York Comic Con audience. We have time for another question from the audience. If anyone else wants to get up, hey, what is your name and what is your question? Hello.
1: Um, I'm Tyra. And um, when shooting Wilfred, uh, how did it? How did you get used to uh, shooting with a man in a dog costume? <laughs>
0: It's weird how quickly that I took that for granted. <laughs> kind of like my character, I sort of immediately got super used to it, like it became a new normal. Uh, what became difficult over time was just trying not to laugh, because Jason Gann is so fucking funny, and the things that he would come up with on a daily basis were so ridiculous and amazing, and always so different and surprising, so that was the biggest challenge. But yeah, I got real used to seeing him in a dog costume. I have a special present. To where it was weird seeing him out of it.
2: This is a very special present for you. <laughs> you can see Elijah sign that on the side there. There's a drawing board for you. Let's take another video question.
1: Hey, guys. Benny Blanco
2: from the Bronx here. Would you consider doing a musical um, since you like both acting and music?
0: Would you consider doing a musical? I would. Um, I actually, yeah, I would. I don't know if I've got a great singing voice. I think it's kind of fine. Have you auditioned for one? I have auditioned for one. I auditioned for Moulin Rouge. Did you? Which really? was so crazy, because the audition is singing, and I'd never experienced that before. So I actually took voice lessons for, like, a week or two before the audition, uh, and I think I did, I did some classic, like, Sondheim song. I can't remember what it was. Embraceable You. Um... And like the audition was a mix of performing as an actor, like a scene, and then two songs. I had to like sing and dance. Oh wow! I and definitely didn't get it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> when you were doing it, were but you, I was terrified. Did you feel weird about it when it was happening, or did you feel? I fully committed, because um, I think in that moment, if you feel awkward, like it'll show, and it's just all gonna be pear shaped. But that's what you gotta do, right? You, you have, have to, to, you have you to just have to go for it, exactly. yeah, and so not I just be afraid. Went full. Musical on that shit
2: Let's take a few card questions really quickly Um, This is from uh, At Hanya Saad on Twitter How often do people ask you to be the ring bearer at their wedding?
0: (laughs) I was once What? I was once Someone got married in the Alamo Drafthouse Theater In Austin, Texas And I can't remember I think it was during -um Buttonumathon Have you ever heard of -um Buttonumathon? I've heard of -um Buttonumathon, yeah it's a great twenty-four-hour film festival that Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News programs. I know Harry. Yeah, great. Yeah. It's great. It's awesome. Uh, so two people who I, I think had met at Butnamathon got married at Butnamathon, and I was the ring bearer. <laughs> <laughs> they they literally—I think it was like a, it was a whole planned thing—and they were like, "Does anybody have a ring?" And I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, it was great. It was great. the—I mean, I definitely have had that question before. Uh, not from friends or anything, but definitely from other people, like fans, I suppose. But, yeah.
2: Excellent. I got uh, to do it. Brandon, do you, want, do you want more card questions, or should we go to... What does the voice say? The voice? <laughs> the voice says, set fire to all of you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Must obey the voice. Before we go to break, I want to let you guys know the uh, extended uncut version of this chat is available as a Nerdist podcast. So that's the plan. No! It, yes! So the people can watch a TV show They kind of get the edited visual version Of the thing And then Damn we're just going to put out the unedited audio As a Nerdist podcast And they can hear us curse and They shit. can hear us say everything They can hear you make your filthy little talks there <laughs> You <laughs> naughty young man uh, So please fucking go to uh, <laughs> AMC.com Slash talking for bonus clips Exclusive content and links to the podcast For every one of the episodes More with Elijah Wood in a moment We'll be right back Talking with Chris Hardwick I am Chris Hardwick Of the Chris Hardwick And talking with Chris Hardwick Let's take some more Viewer questions I'm never going to get used To saying my name In the third person um, Let's just uh, Just a few kind of Rapid fire questions My chemical dad on Instagram Do you have a favorite meme? Ooh,
0: A favorite meme?
2: Yeah No I don't think I do Okay great Yeah uh, That's a fair answer Shit That's a fair answer Suck like it my know. chemical dad Oh the poor guy um, uh, Angkor on Instagram says What is your favorite Video game to waste time with? Uh, for wasting time, probably GTA 5. Nice. Or, yeah. Nice. Uh, and then Dream Beans on Reddit. Surprise! You've just won front seat ticket to the most amazing concert of all time. Which concert do you choose?
0: Oh, God. Um, probably Nirvana during the In-Utero tour. Oh, yeah. I miss, I miss seeing Nirvana. Good. You kids don't
2: remember Nirvana. <laughs> They smelled like teen spirit, and we liked it that way. Uh, this is uh, oh, this one's quick and easy. McKay Smith on uh, Twitter: Hey dude, I have a strange question. I'm wondering if you would send me a picture of you flipping the camera off. Do you want to just flip off this camera? This over one right here? here? Yeah, sure. You get a close up on that. There we go. That that might become a meme. Great, perfect. Uh and then uh I mean, was everybody turned down with supposed iconic roles from front scenes ticket to do the strange question. Oh. Caitlin Smith won on Instagram. If you could go back and do something differently in any film, what would it be?
0: Ooh. If I could go back and do something differently in any film. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> That's a really good question. I, mean, I, I guess like it just I means you are perfect. No! <laughs> I don't know. I'm Do you watch things to-
2: that way, though? Some people don't watch things that way. Like, sometimes, are you the type of person that when you're done, you're like, well, that's what that was, and, and, and I'm moving on to the next thing. Kind of.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get overly critical. And ultimately, when I see something for the first time that I've worked on, I'm not really looking at myself. I'm looking at the whole thing and how the whole thing came together. Yeah. Um, and so I don't get—I don't kind of micromanage— my own performance or critique it in that same, that way. I, I certainly am critical of my work, but I don't get overly kind of caught up in it. So yeah, I think once something's done and I can sort of acknowledge like, yeah, yay or nay if I feel good or bad about it, but that's sort of it.
2: We have time you know? for another question from the audience. What is your name and what is your question?
1: Hi, my name is Sarah. And
2: oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. The audience was appreciating it too much. <laughs> What's your
1: name? My name is Sarah. Sarah,
2: welcome. Hi. Um, I like my your question,
1: Oh, thank you. Um, my question for you is, since you filmed The Lord of the Rings on location in New Zealand, what was the hardest or even scariest part of shooting there for you?
0: Ooh, well, the hardest part was probably just endurance. Um, long hours, long days, you know, six-day weeks, just trying to kind of get used to that amount of work and not getting a lot of rest. Um, that was probably the hardest part of it. And the scariest? I mean, I don't know. There was nothing ever really truly frightening, but we we went to some wild locations that you know were, were on tops of mountains and things like that that were, I suppose, treacherous to some. Uh, but I was never scared. It was always super exciting because we got to sort of have these experiences that were so far beyond anything that we'd ever done before and flying things in helicopters, and I loved it. Sean Aston was really nervous, though. I remember one day, he was always so, was always so concerned about safety, uh, even though they had it under control. Because, um, you know, they think about those things in pre-production. Uh, I remember one day, there were, you know, we had like four different helicopters that were each landing... And like dropping people off and picking them up to take them to a location or back from a location. And so there was a sort of row of like four different helicopters, and he got out of the one that had transported him, and he sort of stands there and he's like, Pointing to the guy, like, can you see you've got helicopters behind you? And it's like, yeah, no shit, dude. <laughs> he knows. Like, thanks for helping. Sorry, Sean. I have a very special <laughs>
2: present. It was very funny. I have a very special present for you. This is uh, some Lord of the Rings script pages signed by Elijah Wood. Thank you very much, Sarah. And then, you know, he didn't really have a question, but I got it. This guy made a yeah. shirt. You got to stand up That's and show great. the shirt. Come here. Can you guys... Can you s- look at this shirt? <laughs> look at this shirt here. So this is a picture of me, and then this is a that's picture that's been superimposed. Yeah, with a picture of you.
0: Yeah, and I remember I was at some kind of convention, and a, and a, this girl asked if I would I would hop on her back, and I was like, Yeah, I'll buy. <laughs> 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 Uh Well, I have a very special
2: thing for you. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to give you. Yeah, you get the get rat tail. Wait, hey, Well, I have something. Yeah. You guys actually made you guys shirts of this. As well. No way. You did? Yes. You made this? Give me, give me my present! Give me, give me, give me! Oh, dude, that's amazing. Oh, my God, he made these shirts for us. so much! I can't even... <laughs> I'm legitimately going to wear this. What is your name? Adam. Adam, thank you so much for Adam, being thank here. You so this much. This is fantastic. Um, wow. You know, before we... Uh, I think I, I think I know how we're going to end the show, by the way. I think I know how we're going to end the a show. A bit of foreshadowing. Maybe a little bit. But before we go, as we're kind of wrapping this up, and I want to thank you so much for all of your time and insight and, and also just for being a good guy that I've gotten to know these past few years. Thanks. Um, do you have any sort of parting wisdom for people? Like, you know, you're, now, that, now that you're 36, you've been in the business for a while, you know, a, as someone who's done really well, followed their passions, yeah. done so successfully... Um, you know, what would, what do you, what do you say to people who, uh, who may be, and it's not like acting advice, just no. any, any kind of creator.
0: Oh man. I don't know. The thing that's become more important to me, the older I get is, uh, it's very simple, but integrity, the choices that we make, the reasons why we're making the choices that we're making. And that can apply to anything. Um, not doing something simply because you think of what it's going to get you or how it's going to elevate you. But rather what what at the core of the thing that you're doing do you connect with? How does it connect to you, irregardless of whether or not it's something that will be digested by people or will make you famous, or all these sort of ancillary things that come along with artistic endeavors? But how does it how does it connect to your soul? That's that's what you should follow, not anything else. And so integrity is the most important thing. Making those choices based on a heart response and a, and a purity of the love of the thing that it is that you're doing. Because I think you'll 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 tend to head down the wrong path if ultimately the thing that you're trying to achieve is for the wrong reasons. You know, it's not about fulfilling yourself internally, but rather this sort of artifice of the bullshit associated with, you know, various artistic endeavors.
2: Elijah Wood, I want to thank you so much for being here, being my guest today. On the first episode of Talking with Chris Hardwick, would it violate your integrity if we (laughs) ended the show uh, recreating this pose?
0: I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. And you're doing, like, the the SpaceX flying thing. uh, thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, so... uh... Okay, Ready? Check us out at Talking on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My
1: name
0: is going to be on the show. You to be a part of it. I'm this is you... Thank you so much. I'm Chris Hardwick at Hardwick. and I will
2: see
1: you soon. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your
2: burrito. I have missed these Friday night dinners.
1: Hey, welcome to Harvey Graw. At these family dinners, Gracious,
0: everyone!
1: dysfunction is served. I can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we embarrass you?
0: Jump, jump, jump!
1: Sorry, better than I dared to dream. They're extra. Let the wild rumpus start. Ooh, 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 and they're embarrassing. We know how hard it is to move on from the first girl that you ever slept with. Not the
0: first girl who I
1: ever slept yeah, with. Yeah, 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 right. You're a
2: regular <laughs> lady killer. <laughs>
1: I thought you said it was going to be boring here tonight. Woo!
2: No! I, I really hoped it would
1: be. But they couldn't love each other more. Surprise! It's mom and dad being totally normal. Wow. So, dinner next Friday, everyone? What not miss for the world. Dinner with the Parents, Season 1. Stream free, only on Freebie.